Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. This week, we celebrate our freedoms as citizens of the United States of America. Freedoms from oppression, tyranny, subjugation, as well as freedoms of religion and speech. Freedom to know that we are all created equal. We're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Sound familiar? That's from our Declaration of Independence. We are so blessed to live in a country that provides these opportunities. And with freedom comes responsibility to live properly within these freedoms. As we enjoy these national freedoms, it's also important for us to consider our spiritual freedoms, what that looks like, how we obtain it, and how we live by it. I'm Debbie Blank, wishing you a happy 4th of July as we deviate from our walk through Revelation to focus on our country's freedoms and our freedoms in Christ. And I'm Jackie Sailors. It's great to celebrate our country's birthday and the freedoms we enjoy. But as we celebrate, we also need to remember what our founding fathers stressed about the true foundation of our country's freedoms. John Adams, in a speech to the military in 1798, explained that we have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So we have freedom attached to responsibility. Is that a paradox? And how does that apply to our freedom in Christ? I'm glad you brought up that quote by John Adams, because it's important for us to remember that our founding fathers came from a religiously repressive environment. They had a burning desire in their hearts to live where they could be free to worship God as they saw fit. Many of our documents are framed around the love of God and mention God. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Did you catch that? One nation under God, not one nation equal to God or above God, not even alongside of God, but one nation under God. That's who we are. That's how we were framed. And our freedoms came with a price. That price our founding fathers were willing to give. And that included fighting for freedoms, dying for freedoms, actually giving up pretty much everything they had. So they gave a lot for this religious freedom as well as national freedom. Over the centuries, we've seen too many of our young people who've had to give of themselves the ultimate sacrifice with their lives to keep us and their families free. But they did it, and they did it willingly. Our military has kept us safe and free by working overseas to protect us. But our nation hasn't come together in a time of war since World War II. So we sometimes become complacent and we forget how important our freedoms are, how blessed we are to be in a nation that provides us these freedoms. And sometimes we forget, too, how blessed we are to have freedom in Christ. These are things that we want to discuss today. I was remembering about 9-11 and how we all came together at that point in time 
and recognize the foundation of our country, the foundation of our freedoms and of our protection and of our security, and that was in God. But it was also some wise people brought up the idea that maybe we should be blessing God and not calling on God necessarily to bless America. Sure enough, a lot of that mini-revival at that point in time dissipated over a shorter period of time than you would have thought. It's so important when we think about things maybe unraveling morally in our society, and then we see some of the underpinnings of our institutions starting to unravel. We need to go back to what the real foundation is for our country and for its freedoms, and that is the Bible and God's Word. Absolutely. Because the fact is, in order to be truly free as a nation and as individuals, we really must become servants under God. That sounds like an oxymoron, but that's the way God has called it to be. And really, that's what our leaders were. They were servants under each other, under our country, so that they might serve the country in order to protect us and give us our freedoms. Freedom in Christ is different. It's not a political freedom. It's not even an economical freedom. In fact, some of the most harshly oppressed people in history, and even today, have been completely free in Christ, even though they had no freedoms in their national environment. So we want to talk about what it means to really be free in Christ, what it looks like, and how we're to live in this new freedom in Christ. And you know, it's interesting when you think about what is the definition of freedom? Is it you can get to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, no constrictions, no restrictions, just being free. And it's not that way, is it? When you think about what would happen if you did do whatever you wanted to, whenever you wanted to. And I think about the example of if you didn't have to stop at a red light or a stop sign, you could just go through it whenever you wanted to, as fast as you wanted to. The freedom to get around and get to some place uninjured without property damage and so forth would go away completely. And so there are responsibilities and restrictions on freedom. It's not exactly the definition that some people think it is. That's what you said, responsibilities. We have responsibilities within our freedom. That's why our government has developed laws, so that we are free, but we must follow the laws so there isn't chaos. The same thing in our relationship with God. We must follow his rules, his direction. Now, what we've done over the centuries is developed religions, and those religions develop their traditions and sometimes their laws or their legalism. They require their people to follow those directives. But what God wants us to do is follow his directives, because religious leadership tends to be man-made. Now, it's based on the Bible originally, but over time, it denigrates. So we want to see what the Bible says and how we can be free in Christ. And the very first thing we must realize to be spiritually free is the fact that nobody is free. As people, we are born into a sinful world. Sin came into the world with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. So each one of us is born into this original sin, it's called. We can read Romans 5 to understand Adam brought into this world and how Christ paid the penalty for that price of sin. But none of us are free. In Romans 6, Paul walks through this dissertation of how each one of us are slaves. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. Either way, we're slaves. And the fact is, we are all slaves to sin originally. The question is, do we take that slave meant to sin and move it 
so that we are enslaved to Christ and righteousness. And when you're enslaved to Christ, it's a different kind of slavery. We read about Paul describing himself as being a bond servant. A bond servant is not a slave in the traditional sense. It's someone who chooses to be under the mastery of someone else. And so as Christians, we make that choice to be a slave or a servant to righteousness, as you said, through Jesus Christ. Let's talk about what it means to be a bondservant. We see that example originally in the Old Testament. In Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6, it says, If a slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. In other words, he was let go as a free man, not a slave any longer, from his master. But he loved his master, respected him, trusted him, enjoyed his life under his master because his master was such a man of integrity that he chose, even though he was free, to remain in that position. So it says in verse 6, The master shall bring him to God, then he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost. The master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. So what basically the master does is he pierces his ear and probably puts an earring of some sort in it to show that he was free, but he chose to remain under his master. That's what a bondservant in the New Testament is. The Greek word is doulos, and it's mentioned 127 times in the New Testament as someone who belongs to another, a bond slave with no rights of his own. Now just think of that. The slave was free. He could do whatever he wanted to do, but he gave up his rights in order to live under the authority of his master. That's what it means for us as Christians. Now, I understand slavery's got a bad connotation to it. it. It gives us the idea of denigration and hardship and inequality and those kinds of things. But the biblical paradigm is true freedom. Slavery brings true freedom under Christ to experience joy and peace, hope and eternity, those things that we cannot have unless we submit ourselves under Jesus Christ. We are purchased by the blood of Christ. He bought us by his death on the cross, by his resurrection. We belong to him because we willingly submit to his authority. I heard somebody say the other day in a movie that to obey without being forced to obey, to choose to obey is true freedom. Mm. And it, that plays into what you just said. That's right. Far from being oppressed, instead, the slave of Christ is truly set free. So how do we become a slave to Christ instead of a slave to sin? Well, first of all, John 8, 32 tells us, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The first thing we need to know is the truth. What is this truth? And the truth, quite frankly, is Jesus Christ. Because a few verses later in John 8, 36, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. It is the Son, it is Jesus Christ who sets us free. He's the only one that can set us free from the bondage of slavery. So again, each one of us is in bondage. It's just a matter of do we follow sin and the world and ourselves or do we submit to Jesus Christ? It's our choice, but we have to make that decision in life. When we talk about being enslaved to sin, I think about addiction and people who are slaves to whatever it is that they're addicted to, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or a number of things, and their lives are miserable. When we are free to choose Jesus Christ and be a slave to him, 
we get to choose our master. We can choose a horrible master, or we can choose the perfect master who loves us enough that he gave his life for us. And sin enslaves us under that sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us, whether we think we are or not, are sinners. As a matter of fact, 1 John 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we've committed sin right then because we are sinners. But we are set free, if we choose to be, under Jesus Christ. Romans 6.33 says, the wages of sin is death. That's kind of what we're talking about. Sin enslaves us to death, eternal death away from Christ. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have to remember that. We can conquer sin through Jesus Christ, who's already conquered sin, by believing in him, submitting to him. We remember John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We need to believe in Jesus, submit to him, surrender to him, put him as our Lord and Master. Not just as this icon to be honored not or worshipped on Sunday mornings, but truly as the one who we follow in our lives so that we choose to make him master and we his slaves. We choose to follow and obey him and not do what seems right in our own eyes. We choose to put him first and ourselves last. And he came down to heaven to be one of us. So he experienced everything that we experienced and more and suffered and died on the cross to pay the price for our freedom, for our salvation and for eternal life. Who wouldn't want to be a slave to someone like that? That's why Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's already done it. He paid the price for us. All we have to do is believe, surrender, confess him as Lord. And then if we do that, Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer slaves to this world, in other words. It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Now, that's a promise that we can hold on to. If we have believed in Jesus Christ, we are set free. We don't have to worry about sin and death anymore. We don't have to worry about going to hell when we die. We don't have to worry about the ways of the world. Instead, we just need to focus on Jesus. And then after we become these bond servants where we choose who we are to have as master, we can leave that word slave behind because we become more than just a servant. We become his children. Oh, what a blessing that is. Absolutely right. Once we are free from the slavery of sin, we become children of God, heirs to his kingdom. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I know from the time I believed in Jesus Christ, surrendered my life to him at the age of 24, my life changed forever. Now, it wasn't this overnight, complete metamorphosis. It was gradual, but it was a decision I made to make Jesus Lord of my life, put him as my master instead of me running my life. It was a gradual change of everything that I thought about, everything I wanted to do, everything that became important to me. And it was all about Jesus because I became a new creature. 
creature. Now, did I know that at the moment I did it? No. The only thing I knew is that I was making a decision to take me off the throne and put Christ there. That's really all I knew. And I was so naive. I knew nothing else about the Bible. I knew nothing else on how to live for Christ except what I'd been taught religiously as I was growing up. But God taught me through his spirit. Because I was a new creature, the Holy Spirit indwelt me, so now I'm living for Christ. He leads me, he guides me, all I have to do is obey. You don't need an external policeman of any kind to make you understand and want to obey the laws. The Holy Spirit changes our desires, the desires of our hearts. Before you made that decision, your desires might have been different. But as the Holy Spirit indwelt you, over time, he changed the desires of your heart, and then your behaviors changed. So there was no need for external enforcement. You were a new creature, and you wanted to do those things. I did. Now, did sin come in? Was I tempted to go back to some old ways? Sure. It's always going to happen. Until we go to be with Jesus, there's always going to be sin lurking around the corner desiring to enslave us and to turn us away from Christ. But when you have a master in your life, you turn to him instead of sin. If I fall, I ask for forgiveness, get it back up in my relationship with Christ and move forward again. So that now that we have this freedom in Christ, we have the freedom to follow him. Now I got to tell you, it's not always what I want to do. I mean, it's not just sin that tempts me. It's my flesh, my desires that say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. That's going to be painful. That's going to hurt. I'm going to have to give up something. But God knows what's best for us. He knows in the long run so much better than I that everything he allows to happen in my life, he promises from Romans 8, 28, that he will work it together for good. That's what I rely on. As a matter of fact, that's my life verse. Because when I became a believer and all these bad things started happening, because Satan wanted to lure me back away from God for one, and for two, God needed to mold me and create me in his image. So some difficult things happened, and I kind of wanted to give up sometimes. But every time I remembered that if I stayed with Christ, I would have freedom. And that freedom in Christ, God would work out things better than I could ever imagine for his glory. It used to be that when we have those fleshly desires before we're saved, those fleshly desires ruled. There was no competition. But once the Holy Spirit enters your life, then there's competition. There's that check in your spirit. Perhaps you're a little bit rebellious, but you can take that to the Lord. He helps you through. Then there is a reward in that because you see the rewards of freedom in Christ. And there are many of those, but we have that blessing, whereas before we were just controlled by the flesh. And I think of Paul, I think it's in Romans 7, isn't it, where he has that struggle himself and acknowledges it. But who helps him through? Jesus Christ. Christ, praise the Lord. Amen. So how do we live for Christ? How do we live this freedom and experience in Christ? Well, the first thing we have to do is don't turn back to sin. Don't rebel. Don't disobey. Don't cling to the old life or sin. Or if sin gets a hold of us, don't stay there, but instead confess it and turn to God. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. So that tells us that we were once in bondage, in slavery, and we need to stand firm. I like to explain that as putting our feet in cement so tightly that we can't move from right or left. We stand firm in God, in that relationship with him. And Paul says the same thing in Romans 6, 12 through 14, when he says, 
don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And when you speak of grace, we can go boldly to the throne of grace, and we can go in repentance. There is that freedom to always do that each time he helps us through. But we don't want to abuse that either. There are some people who think that they can do whatever they want to, and Jesus has to forgive. But we have to have that true heart of repentance, or we're abusing that freedom that God has given us. God talks about that, actually, in Second Corinthians chapter 7. When he says in verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So when you say, I'm sorry because you got caught and you go to God and say, well, I'm sorry, but you really have the intention of doing it again. There's no repentant heart there. God doesn't forgive an unrepentant heart. Ask God for forgiveness and live that way. So the first thing we need to do is don't turn back to sin. Along with that is we need to not abuse our freedoms in Christ, which is exactly what you were just talking about. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I know people that will say, well, God loves me. He'll forgive anything I do. And so I can just do what I want to do and then ask forgiveness for God and I'm free. Well, that's not surrender to your master. That's not putting him as Lord of your life. It's putting you as Lord and using God as an amulet or something to just get forgiveness whenever you want. And when you recognize that in yourself, that's the kind of thing when we examine ourselves, examine our hearts and take that to the Lord, he'll work with that. Like you said, it has to be genuine when it's called to your attention through the Holy Spirit to go to the Lord in true repentance. That's what God wants us to do. But we need to be willing to do it. I got to tell you, it's very difficult to take myself off the throne of my life. That's what causes most of us as Christians problems. As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to talk about that, about taking ourselves and our desires off the throne and doing what God wants us to do. It's pretty hard because we're selfish people and we pretty much make our lives. We have so many freedoms in this country and so many opportunities that we feel like we don't need God anymore. So we do use him as a rabbit's foot more than anything, where we go to church and we feel like we're pleasing God, but we're really not living for him. That's why we need not to abuse our freedom in Christ and say, well, I'm going to heaven so I can live like hell on this earth. That's not biblical. That's not a relationship with God. That's selfish. And that's living the old self, the one that was supposed to be dead and buried when we were crucified with Christ. There's a new self that we're supposed to be putting on. And that is the third thing we need to do. That is lay aside the old self and put on the new self, as you say, from Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. It's really great to read that whole passage, but I'm just going to read those couple of verses because it says, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we're very clear here, the old self is corrupted. It's the lusts of deceit. But the new self is in the likeness of God. 
we are believers of Jesus Christ. We need to get rid of that old self. But it's going to keep creeping up. So it needs to be a conscious decision to consistently lay aside the old self. By the way, in the Greek language there in those verses, lay aside is in the present tense. It means you need to continuously ongoing lay aside that old self. You don't just do it once and expect it to stay there. It's not going to happen. It also means that you need to continuously ongoing put on the new self. Otherwise, you're not going to grow in Christ. Our fourth and final thing that we need to do to live for Christ is to live by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So I live by faith. Faith in God is a belief in who he is. It's a surrender to his lordship. And then it's a conduct that is becoming of that relationship with God. So you and I are to live out our freedom in Christ by faith. And that's what Romans 6, 4 says, in that we are to walk in this newness of life, consistently ongoing walking in faith with Christ. We call it sanctification. That is that we were saved once in the past. That's justification. It's just as if I'd never sinned. But our salvation is ongoing, that sanctification, continuously serving God, growing closer to him day by day, in order that we might have the fruits of our salvation, which is eternity, our glorification with Christ. You know, Freedom in Christ Ministries has this wonderful list of who I am in Christ, what that freedom in Christ is when we're living it out. It falls into three categories, which I think is wonderful. It's I'm accepted, I am secure, and I am significant, and they have wonderful examples under each of those. That is so important for us to realize the benefits that we have of Christ. Now, obviously, when we have freedom in Christ, we have salvation. We have the abundant life here on earth and the security of being with him for all eternity. It's also important for us to know who we are in Christ here on this earth, because Satan will get in and try and discourage and destroy us with lies and innuendos. He'll bring up the shame and the problems of the past and the things that we've done wrong that will tell us we're not good enough for Christ. But we are. Because once we've believed in him, God has covered our sins with the blood of Christ. So we need to know that we are accepted. We are God's child, according to John 1.12. As a disciple of Christ, we're a friend of Jesus Christ. That just blows me away when Jesus says in John 15.15 15, that we are his friends. He's our friend. I've been justified through him. It's just as if I'd never sinned, according to Romans 5.1. I am complete in Christ according to Colossians 2, 9, and 10. Complete. There is nothing in me that isn't perfect in God's eyes. Now, I've got a lot of issues and dross that God needs to bring up in my life and take away, but he sees me through Christ's eyes, which is perfect and complete. Now, I encourage you to go to the website, Freedom in Christ Ministries, in order to read all of these of who I am in Christ. We're just touching on a few, but the fact is I'm accepted. That is really important for many people who grew up in households or in situations where they didn't think they were important or accepted. Well, Christ accepts every one of us, no matter who we are, what we've done, what our history is. And then we know, secondly, I am secure. I am free from condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just meditate on that for a while. When Satan tries to condemn me, he has no ground to stand on because Christ has paid the price. Philippians 3.20 tells us, I'm a citizen of heaven. Heirs of God, Abba Father is his name. 
I can be confident, I'm secure, that God will complete every good work that he started with me. Philippians 1, 6. That means that God's not finished with us. I'm important to him enough that he wants me to be better. Finally, the third aspect here, and again, we're just running through a few of these. I am significant to Christ. I'm a branch of Jesus Christ. When you read John 15, the story of the vine and the branches, we learn that he's the true vine and that we are a branch that comes out of him. Wow, I'm part of Christ. Romans 4.13, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do them on my own, but through Christ, I can do anything. Do you believe that? Just look at the miracles that God did in the Old Testament through people because they turned to him. And Ephesians 2.10 says, I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, I'm a temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells me. Those are pretty fantastic promises that God gives us when we have freedom in Christ, when we turn to Christ. Let me ask you, are you turning away from sin? Are you abusing your freedom in Christ or making him master of your life? Are you laying aside the old self and putting on the new self? Are you living by faith? If you want true freedom this 4th of July, it's not just with our national heritage. It's most importantly with Jesus Christ. And that's how you do it. I hope you'll turn to Jesus today. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.